This is the Disciple Makers Podcast by Discipleship.org. You're listening to Season 7, and every week this season will bring you content about making disciples. Discipleship.org brings together other like-minded organizations, and they're all focused on making disciples. And our goal in all of it is to help you become a Jesus-style disciple maker. Before we jump into the episode for today, I want you to know about the Discipleship.org Collective. This is an online community for disciples and disciple makers. You can get access to this collective for free with all of its webinars, seminars, ebooks, courses, and even personal and church disciple making assessments. It's pretty amazing. And it's a community, so you have the opportunity to connect with other disciple makers through it as well. You might also be interested to know that there's a premium access option as well, which includes courses, certifications, and even online gatherings with other leaders. Check this out at discipleship.org collective and sign up for free. Go to discipleship.org collective to get your free membership with the discipleship.org collective. Today, we're featuring an episode from Lionshare and their track at the National Disciple Making Forum called Transformational Disciple Making. The episode for today is called Vocational Disciple Making Connecting Calling and Disciple Making, featuring Dave Buring. Hey, I know there will be a few more folks coming in, but I thought we'd go ahead and get some introductions going. So I'm curious before we start, where are you guys from? So just kind of shout out to me where are you from? What states? Iowa, South Carolina, Michigan, Maryland, Indiana, Alabama. Is that a roll tide or is that that's a roll tide? All right, just want to be careful. I don't say the wrong one. All right. Where else? Tennessee. That's good. Michigan. I know we got. What's there? How far up the road? All right. So is that Brentwood then for you? Yeah. Good. Well, I'm glad that you guys are here. So. Uh, the organization that's putting this on is called Lion Share. You may or may not be familiar with us and what we do. Um, so I'm just going to give you like a three-minute thing before I jump into the session so you're a little familiar. So you can't probably see this real well with the lights, but there's some little diamonds around each of these. So we have what we call our four cornerstones in Lion Share, and, and let me just describe them briefly to you. So foundational disciple-making is Joey gives his life to Jesus today how do we get him grounded for the first 30 days? You know, that's where we lo- lose a lot of people, right? We're so glad you came to know the Lord. Come to our potluck and nobody disciples him. All right? So how do you ground the person? Formational discipling, which everybody here at this conference, every track you'll go to understands that it's how do you form somebody in the image of Jesus? We all have different tools and a little bit different methods, but the end is the same. To be more like Jesus and to help them reproduce the same in others. All right? We have a tool that we use, we've used for 15 years now, that's called a discipleship journey. If, it's, if you're at our table, you can take a peek at it, but it's a tool that is a one-year formational tool that, like with, with the guys at our church who use it, or the ladies there, I'll say, I need 184th of your time, basically two hours a week, where you're in it on your own for an hour, you're in a small group focusing on, on life application, obedience-based discipleship. And uh, over the period of a year, over the period, yeah, that helps. Uh, over the period of a year, um, you know, if somebody obeys one thing a week that God reveals to them, at the end of the year, it's a transformed life. And so it's the process that, that we use. So that's 
uh, formational, vocational is what we're going to be talking about today. And that is how do you develop disciples of Jesus that reflect God's character in ways where they serve? Like whether you're a governor, a pro hockey player, whether you're an educator, you're in media, you're in science, how do you reflect that? Because that's, there's a huge void of that in society right now. And oftentimes we don't think that way. Like when I have a friend say, Dave, how do I fire somebody? He's a business guy and he's a godly man. But he says, how as a godly man do I fire somebody? All right, well, the, how do we answer those kinds of questions? Because as you know, oftentimes, and maybe you've been on the end of this, a little pink slip is left there and you're out by noon, right? That's not, that's not honoring, that's not doing Romans 12, 10, outdo one another and showing honor. There's ways to treat. So, so we're going to dive into that one, all right? And then leadership disciple making, which is how do you shape leaders in the ways of God from Scripture? So they're not just gleaning from a leadership manual, but they're actually gleaning from the ways of God in Scripture, and they're referencing God's character. So we have something that we do each year that's called a leadership journey, and it's a January to June event uh, and many of our team who are here, if you're on our team, wave your hands. They've been through a leadership journey, so you can ask them about it. But it's, uh, we do a retreat in January and April here in Nashville. Uh, usually we have about a third of our folks that go through it are Nashvillians, and the two-thirds fly in from around the nation or Canada. And, uh, and it's an opportunity to help people grow and be developed more intentionally. So like, for example, at the retreat that we open with where people meet each other, the first question that we ask when we kind of get to it is, if you were the devil, how would you take you out? Because most leaders are blowing and going so fast, they never pause to realize what are the vulnerable places in me. And so we help a leader begin to make sure they take a look at those places. And, uh, and then how do we disciple you in the ways of God in light of where you serve, whether it's in Homeland Security, as a professional golfer, as someone who's starting a business, as a pastor, how do you apply those things in light of uh, being a leader? So that's a little bit of what we do. Um, our tracks, if you haven't seen them after this one, we're going to have a vocational disciple-making panel that Sonia Beerson will be giving leadership to. We have several that we'll be talking to. Um, we've got Keith here, who's in the music industry. You've got Kent, who's way back there, who's the Pittsburgh Steelers chaplain. We've got uh, two others, right, Sonia? Chet. Yes. Chet, who's back here working in student ministries, and, and a gal who works in prison ministries. <coughs> what does that look like? What's that mean in light of the role you serve in life to reflect the ways of God. All right, so we'll be talking about that. Uh, Kent will be dealing with, later this afternoon, the process of transformation, the role of the Holy Spirit in disciple-making. It's a key role. That was, it was mentioned again today during the main session, so we'll talk about that. The pacing of Jesus tomorrow morning. Most leaders and people that we know are living on about 110%. Have any of you ever read the book Margin? It's a, it's a book I would commend to you. It, uh, he basically says you should be living on about 85 to 90%. So you always have 10 to 15% in reserve when God calls you to sprint. But most people live on 110, right? And so we're going to talk about uh, the pacing of Jesus. What was his pace? Because he was never hurried, but he was always on time. So, so what are some lessons we can learn for our lives? And my friend Nancy Reese will be joining me for, for that one as well. And then we're going to uh, finish tomorrow with... Hot topics, and uh, it's actually a session we requested from Bobby that we don't record so that we can have an opportunity. And so Sean Holland and Heather Zempel will be joining me and we'll be talking about um, what are principles in light of, like in light of being disciple makers, we can't ignore what's going on out there, right? So how do you disciple people to think about this stuff? So we're going to give you uh, some principles that we've, the three of us have learned along the way 
And then we'll probably take the last 20 minutes and open it up for Q&A. And so that'll be the last session tomorrow, all right? Uh, in case any of you really connect to what we're up to, we just want to let you know at Wilson Hall, which is down you know, where you came in the reception area, the left down there, tomorrow at 2.30 when the conference, the forum is all done, we're having a little reception just for people to hear a little bit more what we're doing, uh, put a little food in your belly if you want, and uh, so just an FYI on that, okay? So vocational disciple-making, connecting your calling in the Great Commission. We, we have a book that will be out next year on this very topic. We've just, we're just in the process of finishing it up now. And it's something that, that uh, for me, I'll, I'm going to start here with, with my story. I was the missionary here on this one, and I'll come back to the other two. So as an 18-year-old, I went and joined Youth with a Mission, YWAM. Any of you in here have been YWAMers before? Chet, Cheryl, my, my wife and Chet. All right. So... <laughs> So, I, uh, as an 18-year-old, that had been 1977, I'm 60 years old now, and um, I remember right away being shaped by Lauren Cunningham, the founder of Youth of the Mission, and others who are part of that team, to look at life through a little different set of lenses. In YWAM, for a while, it was called the Mind Molders. Now people call it the Seven Spheres of Society, Arts, Government, Media, Education, etc., and so as an 18-year-old, I started to look at, at life that way. And in, it included when I was thinking about disciple-making. So I've never not connected disciple-making and vocations. It's always kind of been there since I was about 18 years of age. And it's just how I looked at life. And it wasn't until a number of years back I realized, oh, I guess everybody doesn't look at it like this. But it's something that is an important thing. And, and, and let me illustrate this through two stories. So the, I have a cardiologist friend from Ohio. His name is John. Great, uh, does a great job in, in uh, helping mend the human heart. But he told me one day as we were walking in a discipling relationship, he said, I don't do good with a bedside manner. I said, can you tell me what that means? He said, you know, most of us as surgeons, we're actually like scientists. And he said, oftentimes as scientists, we don't really do good at relating to people. Give us other stuff to think about, or we'll master it. And so he wanted to grow as a disciple of Jesus that related well. Because it's almost impossible to be a follower of Jesus and not be a good relator, right? Because God is the most incredible relator in the universe. So my assumption is followers of Jesus should be the best relators in the world, bar none. So this guy was saying, I buy into that. I'm not that. I want to be that. And God, over time, began to do a work in his heart where as he was doing work on people, saving their hearts, he began to have a love for them. So much so that now when he comes in, he'll kind of pull up the little stool and he'll say, let's talk about your heart. And they'll say, well, you know, it's feeling. He said, okay, that's good. Now let's talk about your heart. And he'll spend time talking about their heart and how are you doing? How are you adjusting to all this? Is it okay if I pray for you before I go? It's made a mark on people's lives. All right. So when we're talking about this, I'm not talking necessarily about winning lost people to Jesus. I'm just talking about as the disciple who serves in a vocation, are you reflecting God's character to the people that you're with? Are you reflecting his ways with the people that you're with? Let me share, you know, we live here in Nashville, where, as some people say, people can sing. And uh, there's, a, there's an artist friend of ours who was female vocalist of the year in country music a while back. And she called me one day for prayer because they were going on a radio tour. And I didn't really know what that was. So I said, can you describe that to me? She said, yeah, I have a new song. This is when she was up and coming. And she said, um, they don't know me. They don't know my song. So what we do is we get on the bus and we go to radio station after radio station. We walk in and uh, I sing. 
I tell my story, they play my songs, and that's how you get known. So I said, okay. So she said, we're going to like 50 or 60 of those in about eight weeks. Wow. So I pray for her. But as I'm praying, which is, you know, a good habit to do, uh, is also listen to the Lord. And I felt like the Lord dropped something in my heart. So, you know, when the call was done, I said, hey, can I run something by you? And she said, sure. I said, you know, right, that as a follower of Jesus, we all serve regardless of our status. And I said, are you first a follower of Jesus or are you first an artist? She said, I'm first a follower of Jesus. So that's what I thought. I just wanted to kind of hear it out of her mouth. So I said, so let me suggest something to you. So your bus pulls up there in Phoenix at the radio station you're supposed to be at. The, the doors open. I said, don't get caught right away into the autograph thing. Kindly look at your eyes with your eyes into the eyes of other people, greeting them kindly, knowing you can come back to them and they'll wait for you to sign something. But I want you to get off that bus and I want you to go to the person who took the time to invite you. And I don't want you to assume they know who you are. I want you to walk up, extend your hand, introduce yourself, introduce your family, and then say something like this, whatever your words would be, while me and my family at your radio station today, would you please tell us how we can serve you? She looked at me and she said, I'll do it. Saw her about eight weeks later at a Cracker Barrel. How, how did it go? She said, changed my life. People like being in her band because she also knows how to serve them. But see, if we don't disciple people to think that way, guess what? It's all about me. I have another artist friend who told me that they had to go and repent to those people that they worked with because they had become a diva. And I said, so what would Jesus do in that? She said, Jesus would exercise humility. So I said, that's, that's exactly right. Can I encourage you to do that? So why don't you text me right before you go into your team so I can be praying for you? So she did, right as she was going in, so I could pray for her. I said, how'd it go? She said, it was awesome. You know how it goes. When you humble yourself, people forgive you. But it doesn't matter what your status is. If you're a Grammy Award winner, when you're walking in the ways of God, it applies to everybody. Amen? But see, oftentimes we don't disciple people to think this way. And so all of a sudden, here's my Jesus thing over here. Here's my vocation. Completely apart. And one of the things we have to understand is that is not going to get us as a country or the nations of the world. It's not going to get us any gain. I'm one of those guys, uh, and I know that I can't prove it 100%, but I think you'll understand what I'm meaning. I believe our country is in the condition that it's in because we've disobeyed the last command of Jesus to make disciples. So we don't have people in society, like in bunches, we have them in little bits here and there, but who, who run our major media networks or who you know, are in this role or that role who love Jesus sincerely, who've been discipled and are looking to reproduce those same things in others. And so that's what I want to talk with us about today. So for us at LionShare, this is one of our lead dogs of what we do. Walking alongside people who are godly in society, reproduce the things of God through discipleship journey and other things that we do within them with the point that they reproduce the same in others. So one particular artist here in town has been fun. She's poured in, uh, we poured into her, and now she's got 12 sisters, she calls them, that she pours into. All young, up-and-coming artists you've never heard of, but she's teaching them the ways of God. Okay, that's what I'm talking about. So I just want you to think about this as a pastor. Maybe you're not a pastor. Maybe you're here as an elder from a church and you're in a particular vocation. So I want you to be thinking about this today, okay? So these are what we call, thank you for helping me, Mike. So these are our vocational fields that we refer to. Now, is this a be-all, end-all list? No, but I want you to think of them as umbrellas. Family, 
church, government, law, and nation security, which has everything to do with military to the police, all that kind of thing. Education, media of all kinds, right? Arts, entertainment, sports, business, science and technology, health, medicine, and wholeness. So health, medicine, wholeness, everything from doctors to um, basic health care to physical fitness to counseling, all that kind of eating right. Environment, agriculture, zoology, God's creation. I had one guy come to me and who's a follower of Jesus now in his 70s, and he said to me, Dave, if we don't, as Christians, rise up, Republicans or Democrats are going to take us in a goofy place when it has to do with environment. And he said, we need more followers of Jesus who love God's creation, not in a weird way, but in a godly way, and help us steward it so the next generation can have the same. I don't know if you've ever stopped to think about that before, because we have one, you know, one political stream here, another here, and then you got all kinds of these nonprofits, to, and everybody's kind of, and, and where is the godly voice saying, hey, can we go back to Genesis about stewarding the earth? Like, what does that really mean? But if we don't have godly leaders who've been discipled in God's ways and carrying his heart, we'll never have that. You guys tracking with me? Okay. So one of the things o- over time um, that I begin to discover in Scripture is all vocations, you know, I'm not talking about sin areas, but all vocations are rooted in the character of God. It's like, it's like in other words, it's not just a job. It's not just, oh, this is what I do to get paid. Matter of fact, the, the Latin word vocatio has to do with the same word as calling. Like, do you realize that God intended with the gifts and stuff he's given us that our vocations actually are our callings? It's not just a job. It's a calling, which means the grace of God, the anointing of God, all that flows in and through your life. And so I begin to discover this, and I, I threw a few illustrations up here for you. God, the master builder, like if you are in construction or you're a home builder, uh, you know, um, build commercial buildings, have you ever realized that your profession is actually rooted in the character of God? Like, have you ever noticed how God lays out specifically the size of the ark? And I don't know why, but he says, uh, go for wood. Like God lays it all out, and that's not the only place. Like, God is the master builder. Like, if this is your career, you can walk with him knowing that he gets me. Okay? God, the author of creation. All right? When we think about creation, zoology, you know, that kind of stuff. God, the author of creation. He's the one that created us as human beings. One of my favorite statistics about us as human beings is, do you know that if... You know, if I was to lay out here and you said, Dave, you can use me as an experiment. You lay here and I just kind of cut you open a little bit here, very carefully, of course, and I pulled out every vein. Do you realize that you have 24,000 miles of blood vessels in your body? That's like right now in your body that would wrap around the earth two and a half times. What? That's a fact. You can go check it out. Like that's the God of creation. He's the God who made, like, I don't know when it was that day with the giraffe, but creating the drones. Hey, that looks pretty awesome. You know, I don't know. But he's the God of creation. Okay, the, the animals just didn't get there because, well, the, you know, this bumped into this and it came out with stripe. God of creation. And so if you have any kind of capacity in your life of being creative, a painter, a singer, whatever you do, your your vocation is rooted in God himself, okay? God the artist, 
Cheryl and I have a, we met and got married when we were missionaries with Youth of the Mission based out of Kona, Hawaii. You know, someone has to serve in Hawaii, right? So it wasn't hard to get to the will of God there. And, but anyway, we met and we got married there. But when we go back there, one of the things that I like to do is if I'm awake early, and sometimes that first morning or two you are because of the time change, is whenever you watch the sunrise. And if you're on, say, in Honolulu and you're on the beach there and, and you, the sun starts coming up and it's dark, and then all of a sudden you just start seeing that little bit of light, right? And then it begins to kind of expand like this. And then pretty soon over Diamond Head, you see little spraying of light coming up and you watch that thing going up till it sets over the you know or, or lands over the ocean in majesty but to watch that process it's God the artist in action or the sunsets in Kona where we used to live the the big thing is it's amazing how people will stop just to watch the sunsets and part of it is you, where where we lived you could be up high enough that you could almost see the curvature of the earth you would you'd be so uh, could see le- left to right well, and then when the sun sets, what everybody watching, watches for, it's called the green flash. Have you ever heard of this? The green flash. So it's like what happens is here's the orange sun, and as it, it's kind of going down like this into the horizon. When it gets to right about here, like the last five seconds, if it's a clear night, it goes like this, green, and then goes down. So it's not a big, because when someone said the green flash, I went like, uh, no, no, just look at the sun, all right? But that's what they call it. And, and, you, and you just, you see God the artist at work, all right? God the techie. Have you ever thought about this one? Like, I still, because I, I travel quite a bit, I'm always amazed that wherever I land, I just can turn this phone on, right, that has more superpower in it than the lunar lander on, that landed on the moon. And, and there's texts, and there's voicemails, and there's email, and there's Instagram, and Facebook, and it's, it's always amazing. But I go, I don't know how this happens. Like some of you guys go, oh, I could tell you. Uh, I know. I just, it's just, I just go, I'm glad it works, right? But have you ever thought about how God is tied into technology? So I want you to think of God's processing speed. Right now, he knows what's going on in that little home in Japan. Right now, he knows where that brand new ladybug is born. Right now, he knows what comet just went past Mars. Right now, he knows you intimately. So whenever you think of the internet from now on, I want you to realize it's a tiny, minuscule expression of the processing power of God. See, even that stuff, it's rooted in who he is. Okay? God the governor. We see that king of kings, lord of lords, he governs. Which means, as leaders who serve in government, we can reference his scriptures and reference him and his character and say, God, how is it that you would have me govern? So, so let me be, do a dramatic example. How will we ever have a president, male or female, in our country who will lead out of the ways of God unless someone disciples them in it? Guys, this is part of where the church is supposed to come in. Like, like my dream of church life is that somehow within the church life and the disciple-making expression of it, you have these various vocational fields so that you know in, in your church hey, these are all the people in education, these are all in media, because imagine what would happen if there was a tragic thing, let's just pick on our town here in Nashville, like the flood that happened here nine years ago, wiped out all kinds of stuff. What if you knew you could go to this and you realize, hey, people's technology is down, but your team at your church, I'm not talking about your staff, all the people in your church could put their heads together and say, how could we get that thing going in this area to serve our whole city? 
Don't you think when that all comes back on and they go, who'd start? Well, it was that little church down the street. Well, what? What do you mean? Well, they had like 40 people in their church who serve in various areas of technology. You see, they put their heads together. They fixed it. Don't you think people would go, wow. See, this is also the future, I believe, of missions trips. It's not just going and building buildings and knocking on doors, as awesome as that needs to continue to be. But what if you put together a technology team that went to a nation in Africa because there are still places in our world that doesn't, they don't have access to technology. And you went and that was your role. Just like we go do, we, we dig wells for people who don't have water. I, I have a friend of mine who served in some of this area and he had the privilege because of a godly leader in a particular nation, he came to them and, and as he built relationship, they said, would you help us write a constitution for our nation? And because he was a godly guy, he just didn't draw on his own nation's constitution. He referenced the things of God, and that nation's constitution was based on the, the word of God. That'll never happen unless we disciple people in those things and to think that way. You tracking with me? Okay, it's, it's oftentimes, I will have people, when I talk about this, they'll look at me like I have five, five heads. Because like, I, what, I don't know. Because we, we're not used to this. But I want to encourage you Yes, there's formational discipling, but are you discipling them in the ways of God in light of their profession? All right? So along with God's character being connected to it, I want you to look at vocational DNA. In other words, how God made people. Like, you guys, I, I don't know how to fix a car. I have friends who can say, I can take the engine out, clean every part, put it all back together, and whammo. Not me. It's like Jiffy Lube is my friend. All right? But some people are wired that way. And the thing I want you to realize is every one of those vocational fields has a God-given competency. Like they, like they can do things I can't do. I do things they can't do. There's a unique competency. There's unique products and or services that those people in that particular area make available. Like could you imagine what would happen in our country if everybody who had products and services around vehicles, which includes gasolines, just shut down for a month? I want you to think about, oh, I guess there's no air flights. I guess, like, how am I going to get to work when work is 20 miles away? Do you realize that that unique product and services, guess what? All of a sudden, that elevates in our hearts and, man, uh, hearts and mind. I need people in the fuel industry. I honor you for all the hard work you do. Instead of it, just this area we, we honor and this area, it's we recognize our desperate need for every area of society, okay? They have a unique range of impact. In other words, there's a sphere of influence that God gives them to impact, all right? Our artist friends, it's amazing. Like I have one artist friend that one time uh, quoted something that I did on, on Twitter, and I'm just sitting there. I'm in California in a friend's home, and I'm sitting there on my Mac, and all of a sudden in my inbox, ding, 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 ding. And I'm going like, what's, and I'm shutting it off. I'm thinking, there's a problem. No, she said something and pointed to, the, to an email, and all of a sudden, here everything comes. And I'm going, wow, that's quite a range of impact. We all have that, all right, depending on the vocation that we serve in. Unique relationships to enjoy and team with, all right? There's people that we're used to working with and we team with, but some become lifelong friends, all right? And there's also a unique mission that each vocation, and again, think of that as an umbrella, all the things under those various vocational fields, there's a unique mission each one has to accomplish, 
Okay, so I just want you to see this perspective. Now I want to give you some quotes to just let you kind of get a feel that this has been around for a long, long time. All right, so here's Martin Luther. Check this out, I love this quote. The idea that the service to God should only have to do with the church altar, singing, reading, sacrifice, and the like is without doubt but the worst trick of the devil. How could the devil have led us more effectively astray than by the narrow conception that service to God takes place only in a church and by the works done therein? The whole world could abound with the services to the Lord, not only in the church, but also in the home, kitchen, workshop, and field. Okay? Here's another quote. A cobbler, a smith, a farmer, each has the work and office of his trade, and yet they are all alike consecrated priests and bishops. Called to their realm. All right? And everyone by means of his own work or office must benefit and serve every other that in this way many kinds of work may be done for the bodily and spiritual welfare of the community, even as all the members of the body serve one another. See, some of us grew up with this understanding that there's a difference between secular and sacred. The thing I love about current 20 and 30-somethings, they don't think that way. They're basically saying, I'm called by God to do this. How do I serve him? How do I advance his kingdom? And I love that. And I hope we all get schooled by them. All right? But many of us grew up, this is... This is a holy, you know, sacred thing. This is secular and, and never the two. That, did you know that's not biblical? I like what Jack Hayford says is, is there's darkness and light in the world and in the church, and God's trying to seed it all with sons and daughters of light. That's a more biblical way to look at it, all right? Look at this one. All our work in the field, in the garden, in the city, in the home, in struggle, in government, to what does it all amount before God except child's play by means of which God is pleased to give his gifts in the field, at home, and everywhere. These are the masks of our Lord God behind which he wants to be hidden and do all things. So he says the, the, the woman milking the cow is, God is behind that. All right? And so we need to recognize this. This guy, uh, Edward Veith, kind of jumps on some of these thoughts of Luther, and look what he says. We pray in the Lord's Prayer that God give us our daily bread, which he does. He does so not directly as when he gave manna to the Israelites. I mean, unless you guys have had that. I haven't had that experience. But through the work of farmers and bakers, and we might add truck drivers and retailers. In effect, the whole economic system is the means by which God gives us our daily bread. Each part of the economic food chain is a vocation through which God works to distribute his gifts. Like, like, have you ever thought about this? Why is it the only people we bring up front on a Sunday morning and lay hands on, so to speak, to commission out is our short-term mission teams? Do you realize what would happen in your church if on a certain Sunday you go, okay, this Sunday all business people are up here, and you commission business people in the name of Jesus to the work of the kingdom that week? There's a young man I met uh, speaking at retreats as a young guy in San Jose, California, and he, he played hockey. And I said, well, where do you do this? He said, well, there's no kids' leagues. This has been the early to mid-80s. No kids' leagues, so I have to play in adult leagues. Well, what do you play? Goalie. I'd run into him a couple times at these retreats. Years later, I'm sitting home in Minnesota at the time where we're living, and all of a sudden, here comes the University of Minnesota Golden Gophers out to skate on the ice. Tonight in goal, John Blue. And I'm going, what? That's that kid. That's that kid. He went on to star at the University of Minnesota. He was one of the goalies for our U.S. Olympic team. Then he got drafted professionally. He came over to the house that day, shared it with us. We laid hands on him because we knew at that time only 3% of the National Hockey League was Christian. So we commissioned him to an unreached people group. 
But see, if we don't think that way, we're not going to make an impact, right? So as we pour the things of Jesus into him, I know as he's out there skating, it doesn't mean he wears his I love Jesus t-shirt on, but it means the way he relates to his teammates, the way he relates to his coach, the extra effort that he puts in on the ice, those kinds of things that people go, what's with you? Okay? Look at this quote. Similarly, God heals the sick. While he can and sometimes does so directly, in the normal course of things, he works through doctors, nurses, and other medical experts. God protects us from evil with the vocation of the police officer. God teaches through teachers, orders society through governments, proclaims the gospel through pastors. Luther pointed out that God could populate the earth by creating each new generation of babies from the dust. Instead, he ordained that human beings should come together to bring up children and families. The offices of husband, wife, and parent are vocations through which God works to rear and care for children. The purposes of one's vocation, whatever that vocation might be, is serving others. I want you to catch that. Though our justification through faith has nothing to do with good works, vocation does involve good works. And those works have to do with fulfilling Christ's injunction to love one's neighbor. The Christian's relationship to God is based on sheer grace and forgiveness on God's part. The Christian's relationship to other people, however, is to be based on love. As Gustav Wingren puts it, God does not need our good works, but our neighbor does. Last one here, I think, on this. God is graciously at work caring for the human race through the work of other human beings. Behind the care we have received from our parents, the education we receive from our teachers, the benefits we receive from our spouse, our employers, and our government stands God himself bestowing his blessings. Are you guys tracking with me? I just want you to catch this and realize that the difference we as followers of Jesus can make in our society. So I have, a, I have three grand babies and one on the way. And Baron is our oldest. He's five years old. And he's a little boy that I can look in his eyes and think about this. Okay, how do I make his world different? How do I help followers of Jesus who are now maturing in their faith apply that in their vocations so they glorify the Lord and advance his kingdom? Now, I want to give you, uh, we'll see time-wise here, four or five general vocational disciple-making examples. There are specific ones that we can get into for each vocation. But let me give you some that apply to everybody, all right? One is, I call it, measures of capacity and influence, all right? There's a Greek word we find 13 times in 11 verses in the New Testament. That is the word metron, all right? We see this in Romans uh, 12, where Paul's talking about spiritual gifts, for example. And it means a measuring rod and is the root of such common words today as meter and speedometer. It speaks of a determined extent, allotted measure, specific portion, limited to degree. God has given us each a metron that has a capacity and an influence, all right? By capacity, I mean how, how broad is it, all right? Like, what is your capacity? Is it like, well, I'm a songwriter. Well, are you like a songwriter for every genre? No, I do country music songs. Oh, okay. That's your capacity, unless maybe the Lord grows that thing. And then influence is to whom or to how many? Do you know how many pastors who are pastoring, you know, a church that's just thriving of 150 are just, like, I've, I've had them be honest with me and say, I'm lusting to have a church of 1,500. Well, well like, what if God said, no, 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 no. I'm going to have you have a church that is going to always be small because you're going to reproduce so many disciples and send them out to church plant and do other things. I'm just going to keep it like that, and that's, that's the capacity I've given you. 
But because in our society, bigger is better, but that's not the kingdom, is it? Jesus discipled 12. Like, he might have had a hard time getting a small business loan if he was around today. You only got 12 employees. Okay? <laughs> we have to realize we, we have bought into the, the world system, and we have to step away. When I'm teaching young missionaries about this, I'll, I'll use this illustration. We'll, we'll do this again tomorrow on our Hot Topics. I'll say this. I'll say, as an American, as a Filipino, as a Canadian, as a Russian, culture is like this on you. It just, it's just, that's how you live. And you look at life through, it's just there. And one of the things that God teaches us is we've got to do this with our culture and give room between here and our hearts to put Jesus in his kingdom. And that's what we have to do with people. We have to help them see that the world's culture is very different than the kingdom culture. But if we don't disciple them to think that way, guess what? You inherit the, those people to work with and you're wondering, why in the world do they not see it? I used to get frustrated with my dear fellow pastors when I talk about discipleship because they go, no, I don't, no, I, I don't think, it's just the education department's going to do it. And the Lord one day called me up short and said, I want you to stop thinking that way and I want you to have compassion. And he said this, because people only do what they've been discipled to do. They only do what they've been discipled. So they are not going to act any different unless someone comes alongside and says, hey, can I show you God's ways on this? That's our, that's our job. That's our role, which includes within our vocations, okay? So one of the things I want to encourage you in, and like I've had to do that with artists here in Nashville because, you know, we have, the last figure I heard was 100 people coming in a day and 100 people going out a day looking to become famous and didn't make it and leave. And there are some that I've had to sit down and boy, can they sing, can they play? But it's like the Lord's not opening those kinds of doors for them. So when I, I say to them, so have you ever considered that maybe, A, this is something God's given you to bring joy to your own life as refreshment? Have you ever considered that there may be, this is something with your family to have fun with? Have you ever considered? Because what if, what if they have great capacity there, but God says their influence is for something else? Like, have you ever considered this from the scripture? Like David... David played in such a way that he simmered down Saul when he was all worked up, right? David could play. If he was here in Nashville, they'd say, that dude can play. But he was not anointed to be a worship leader. He was anointed to be king. And sometimes we have to realize that people may have a capacity, but we assume because it's a certain capacity, this should be their influence. Are you guys tracking with me? Well, we got to learn to say, God, I just want to be content. I've had the rebuke of the Lord inside me at times when I was reaching for something and he said, would you just stop reaching and realize what I've given you to steward? Would you just do that well, son? So it calls you up short, moves you in humility, lets you step back and realize, okay, this is what God's given me to do. I want to hear those words one day when he looks in my eyes, well done, good and faithful. And by the way, have you noticed it's not well done, extremely gifted and very charismatic person. It's well done, good and faithful. That's what God's looking for. Do we disciple people to think that way? Especially this emerging generation, all right? Let me give you a second one. Work is worship. This is something that everybody that works in any vocation should be discipled in. The Bible tells us we are to do that for our employer unto the Lord. So we had a guy that would teach us in YWAM Hawaii once in a while from uh, Indiana, and he'd come in, Glenn Martin, and he would teach us this, work is worship. And so as a young 20-year-old, I was learning work is worship. And, and at times at our YWAM base, about three times a year, we'd have work days where the whole base, several hundred people would come and it was painting day and 
take out garbage day and fix the plants and bushes day and, and we change it to worship day. So just as a mentality would realize work is worship. Like, do you go, do you get in your car to head to work and go, Lord, I just give this to you today. I want to honor you. I want this to be as an offering of worship today. We need to disciple people in the various vocations to look at their roles that way. Okay? Kingdom ambassadorship. Like, like every follower of Jesus is an ambassador of God's kingdom wherever they go and whomever they're with. At all times and in all places, you and I represent his character, ways, and mission. You've been sent by Jesus to represent him in your vocational field within society. Being his ambassador is your primary reason for being there. I want you to think about that for a minute. In other words, making money, networking, moving the ball down the field, that's all there, but it's secondary. The primary reason God's put you there is, hey son, hey daughter, you're my ambassador, and there are some people I'm going to have you rub shoulders with. I want you to reflect me through that. Can I say this again? If you don't disciple people to think this way, they don't. Are you guys tracking with me? Am I losing you at all? Okay, I, just, I want you to catch this because it's huge. It's a huge open field right now. All right? Conscious of your conscience. This is another place that we can disciple everybody in vocational fields in. Our conscience functions like an inner truth rudder. It is sharpened by the Word of God and calibrated by the Holy Spirit living within us. When we detach from what the Scriptures teach and become unresponsive to the nudges of the Holy Spirit on your job, all right, we find ourselves drifting into the waters of compromise. It happens subtly, one small turning from the truth at a time. Done often enough, we become disoriented and become more vulnerable to deception. If we continue this trajectory, we become acclimated to and even defend a virtual reality that is far from the course of where we once sailed with a clear conscience before God and man. I just want you to think of that for a moment in your job, your vocation, your role. Have there been times as a follower of Jesus who loves God with all your heart, who fears the Lord above all else, where subtly there's been compromise? Well, nobody will know. Well, in the end, you know, I might, it might feel like this now, but in the end it's for the higher good. But you know you're lying, you're stealing, you're cheating, you're whatever. If we don't disciple people to think this way, they can easily drift into this territory. Okay? Let me give you one more here ready to reproduce, all right? The, the idea here is simply, again, this person in government who loves Jesus, would you prayerfully consider about who other people you know who love Jesus but have never been discipled to think this way in light of your vocation? I have a government leader friend who, when he read a book on the fear of the Lord, it changed the way he looked at what he would do with his job. Because the fear of the Lord is reverencing and referencing God in all that you do. When you're in government, and particularly in the political side of government, where there's manipulation and control, and we got to win this election, and we got to, when all of a sudden the fear of the Lord impacts your life, it changes the way you do things. And that person, that friend of mine said to me after that, I can no longer even consider thinking in my mind strategy-wise how I can manipulate somebody. Can't do it anymore. Guys, we haven't even gotten into, we haven't even gotten into specifics like, what do you do with an artist? What do you do with a businesswoman? What do you do with the government leader? What do you, I, those are just five very general things that we could pass on to any vocational person who's a follower of Jesus. 
okay? One of the things we, we like to talk about is beginning with the end in mind. Something I learned as about an 18 or 19 year old, this concept. And so I want to share this and, then, and I want to leave about 15 minutes here for questions and things you guys would like to ask and talk about, all right? But beginning with the end in mind, like, so when I'm talking to my business leader friend or, you know, this athlete friend or this artist friend or this stay-at-home mom or, or whatever their vocation is that God has called them to, what is the end for you as a follower of Jesus? And I would submit there's three things. The first one is God has placed you there to reflect him so his kingdom could be advanced. How? Who knows right now? But Jesus knows. And he knows through your life how he may want to advance his kingdom into somebody else's life. And you might not, they might be an unbeliever and you might not be the one to lead them to the Lord. But I remember the Graham organization years ago taught that it took 28 touches before someone finds Jesus. What if you're number three? What if you're number 17? What if you're number 27? Are you, are, so I wanna ask you, just like, like, let's make it personal for a minute. Are you conscious in the midst of your vocation of how am I advancing God's kingdom today? Or would you be honest enough to say, Dave, I don't know that I've ever connected those two thoughts. Because it's just about making money, it's just about positioning myself well, or is it today, Father, as I walk out, you know, and again, I love doing this when I'm in various churches or settings, is, is hey, hey, why don't you guys, you know, like if I'm closing the pastor, hey, just close your message by closing it off. Is I'll just say, hey, why don't you guys stand, and, and I want you to lay hands on each other. Just put each, on each other's shoulders, whatever, and we're going to pray a commissioning now in the name of Jesus for you to go advance God's kingdom this week through your vocation. We've got to help people think this way. Okay. How about this one? Like advancing God's kingdom and glorifying God, enhancing the image of God in the eyes of other people. Like, like the way, let me, let me go this one, I'm gonna come back to this one. I love Leith Anderson's definition of that. He's a pastor up in, in Minnesota and he says, glorifying God is enhancing the reputation of God in the eyes of another person. In other words, the way you relate, it's not enhancing God, we know God doesn't need that. But oftentimes God's character has been so, you know, downplayed or distorted that we don't see him for who he really is. And so glorifying God is that when someone leaves you, it's almost like they want to say, as we say sometimes here in the South, I want to get me some of that. The way they treated you, the way they related to you, the way they took time, whatever it is. Like, do you think about this in your relationships and what you do? Like, is that one of, the, is that one of your ends for the day when you lay your head on the pillow at night and examine your day? Is it, Lord, I really wanted to glorify you today. Did you do that in your relationships where people said, I want more of what they got? In the way you handled your business, did you glorify God, that, pe that the image of God, because here you got, as you drive out in your truck from the construction site and they're on the bumper stickers, Jesus is Lord. Are people going, as you drive out, or are they going, wow, they live that. That's glorifying God. And if you're feeling any sense of you know, the Lord's nearness to you in this and conviction, I just want to encourage you, you know, while you're away from home, just do, take a walk, not today in the rain, but take a walk and just do some business with the Lord. Just say, Lord, I, I have viewed my vocation as just a source of provision. I, I have not really viewed, or a promotion or whatever it is, I've not viewed it through the lens of advancing your kingdom and glorifying your name. Because that's the primary reason he's put you there. Okay? Let me finish with this one. 
bettering and blessing the lives of people. This is one that I, over the last several years, has swelled inside of me. I love that, <clears throat> excuse me, that verse in Acts where it says, Jesus went around doing good. Do you understand that part of God's heart is bettering and blessing the lives of people? That that one that doesn't have food now has food. The one that didn't have a job now has a job. The lady who can't cut her grass because she's sick had somebody come and cut her grass. Like, do you look at life through this? Like, I, I love living here because it, it simplifies life to me, like right like this, and the, who's in front of me? Do you ask yourself the question, Lord, how could I better and bless this person in front of me? Whether it's taking them out for lunch, whether it's saying, hey, you know what? I know your kid really likes this team the Titans are playing this week. Why don't you take my tickets and go? Like, how do you better and bless the lives of people? Jesus did that. And as his followers, in vocations, this is one of the things that we can do for other people. Okay? So let me, um, let me just stop there for now. There's other stuff, but let's stop there. And, and so talk to me a minute. What are you hearing? What kind of questions do you have? Where did I confuse you? Yes, you're my uh, surgeon, surgery person up here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we put it all back to. What's the difference between a unique God-given competency and a spiritual gift? That's a great question. What's the difference between a unique God-given competency and a spiritual gift? Here's how I look at that. So, like for example, when I'm walking with somebody, what I will do if they're saying, "Hey, help me understand my giftedness." There's something that I do for people. It's a two-day process that's called Life Plan that has about eight different categories of helping someone understand their strengths. When I'm dealing with someone like in our church, we might get there, but I will often get in, in this language, natural abilities, acquired skills, and spiritual gifts. Sometimes we get so focused on spiritual gifts, which to me are a lot of fun, but there's also natural abilities. Like there's certain things, like if you got to know me and I got to know you, we'd realize you've had that ever since you were a little kid. Like my grandson, Baron, there's natural abilities of relating to people and athletics that are just there. They're just there. He, nobody trained him and said, now this is what you need. It's just, they're just there. And there's natural abilities that God puts in us. There's acquired skills, which would be things like um, learning to play the piano. Maybe you didn't want to as a kid, but you're glad now as an adult you'd learned, you know. Or it's a parent going, natural ability, look at this music thing. Let's get them into some lessons. And you're enhancing that natural ability. And then, of course, there's spiritual gifts. So when I think of somebody, I think of that whole package as part of capacity. And so I look at it like, okay, look how they relate to people. Look, look at their uh, quick wit or use of humor. That Here was this very intense situation, and everybody was like, Argh! and all of a sudden through just a little... Um, 15-second comment, it just settled everybody. How did they know? To, and it's just acquired, natural, I don't know. So when I think of capacity, I think of um, all those pieces. What is the capacity? And the other piece I would add in there is experience. Because experience adds to your capacity. I'm a guy that believes that God gives us spiritual gifts. Um, and let's just say it's a muscle. And, and that gift is you know, a muscle this big. But as you use that over years, you increase the capacity of your gifts. It's not just, here's the gift, it just leave it alone. No, it's a gift that as you work it, the capacity of that gift expands. Okay? So when I think of someone's capacity, I mean all of that. Experience, 
uh, natural abilities, acquired skills, spiritual gifts. And so when I'm helping someone think through and they say to me, Dave, what is my capacity? I walk them through all those kinds of things, including what are your passions? What are those drives inside of you that you just can't shake? What are the things you dream about, have a hard time sleeping at night because you're so, all of that stuff has to do with capacity. Where influence is more, is God giving me, you know, who is God, ha- or to whom is God having me serve, and how many? And so that's something that, again, we think in our marketing world, we can just create that. It's a lot, I mean, and there's a, there's a right, healthy, awesome place for that. But there's also a place of saying, okay, God, I'm watching for doors of favor that you open. In my world, sometimes I'm, like we were just talking with our board yesterday, there's been three thresholds that I, like if think of a door, I have either been right behind the threshold or in the threshold, ready to step through, and the Lord, for whatever reason, has not allowed it either time. And they were things that I was excited about because it would have opened some doors in our organization to disciple more people in the way, but God didn't open them. So I just had to step back, and, I, and I'm, I'm not hurt by it. It's just sometimes I, I told them I sometimes feel like I have a sliver in my soul, like, God, why didn't that happen? I'm not angry about it. But I have to just also trust and say, I bet you you kept me safe from something. See? So that's what I mean by capacity. So it's kind of all of, of who you could be. Does that help? That helps. Okay. I just, I just see people limiting their capacity by saying, I have things from nature, from nurture, and from spiritual gifts. Yeah. And nature, I'm just good at that. Yeah. God didn't give me that. I was just born that way. Yeah. And I learned this. I worked. I put in the work. I learned how to do this. Yeah. Those things are not God. Those are mine. Yeah. I did that. Yeah. Now, I'll use my spiritual gifts for God for this other stuff. No, that's mine. I yeah. I that. What and, I want to do. And I guess they forget God is creator, don't right. they? Right. Yeah. And God is spirit. <laughs> yeah. And so if God created you that way, he gave you those gifts. Exactly. I'm with you. So I'm 100%. trying to live a more homogenized yeah. life rather than, than so segmented that this is mine, that's God's, you can't have any of that. That's exactly, you're thinking absolutely right. And I appreciate asking that question because I bump into that a lot. And you're nailing it. Yeah, that's awesome. Because it all comes from God. You know, the pieces in me, there's a, there's a relational component in me that I didn't plan for, nobody trained me in. But since I was a little boy, I've always tried to relate well with people. Regardless of background, somebody, when I was about 20, pointed it out and said, did you know this? And I didn't. I had never stopped to observe it. I didn't, nobody, it was just, it's a natural ability that then others came alongside and said, let me enhance that for you. So I like how you're thinking. Yeah. What else? Other questions? Yes, ma'am. A comment that all the things you brought up today is what I think about often is being the light. You're being the light if you do all these things you're referring to. Yep. And last year when you had Mandisa speak about a situation that she had with Simon Powell, she was the light. Yeah. She was the salt. Yep. And that's what you're doing when you're out working your job and you're different than the darkness. You're being the light in that area. Yeah, and and we, we uh, amen and amen to that. As an organization, we draw a distinction between being salt and light and actually being a disciple maker in your vocation. And part of the reason we are as a nation is where we are because we don't have enough vocational disciple makers. So it's not either or, it's both and. But most of the time we stop at be salt and light. That's great, but what happens when salt and light's being exercised and that person responds to Jesus, then who's going to say, okay, now let me show you God's ways. 
Let me show you his character. And so now Mandisa, you know, she's got her sister's group that she pours into, and she's trying to shape them in the ways of God. She'll call once in a while. It's funny to me, the last three, four years, she's become a football fan. She could care less about football. But now, I was telling somebody today, a third of my calls with her, she's not calling to say, hey, what's the ways of God? Or what did you teach me about this? Because I need to tell the girls this. It's, what's a blitz? <laughs> what? And, and she's laughing, but she wants to know. Or like, I heard this, I was watching college football, and I heard red shirt freshman. What is that? Well, I didn't see any kid wearing a red shirt. Like, okay, let me explain that with it. So we're having a fun time, not only being discipled in the ways of God, but in the ways of football. <laughs> All right. Good. Thank you for that. What else? Anything else? You? Yes, sir. Uh, so, you know, many of these vocations, I think, you find yourself in the midst of an organization. And uh, one of the things that I think is very common today is this sort of hyperfixation on performance. And yes. Persons or employees value an organization being solely based on their performance. Cha-ching. Yeah. So I uh, wondered what your thoughts are on how, you know, what that means as a disciple is I think you have to be willing to go against the grain in some ways of the organization. And you have to be willing to do things that, you know, may not advance you in the ways that the organization, you know, is trying to. Uh, yeah. So that's sort of a difficult thing, I think, for for people that are new out of school especially, you know, it's easy to kind of get sucked into this, yes. this conveyor belt. Yeah, because uh, you're trying to please and you're trying to get your footing. So the question has to do with in light of kind of the corporate world and companies and how sometimes it gets goofy in there of when you're asked to do things or how do you sort all that. And so for me, I always like to, because it's biblical, as you're discipling people, always remember it needs to be grounded in the truth of Scripture, right? It's not just good ideas or suggestions or somebody told me. It's here's the ways of God rooted in Scripture, all right? So part of that has to do with, I think, I think followers of Jesus should be the best employees ever a company's ever had. That, that, that the boss just says, if I just had 100 more of you. So that should be our starting place. We should be the best employees a company has ever had. Okay? Secondly, when you're dealing with issues, for example, like what he's suggesting here, to where it gets to uh, truth twisting and hiding things and all that, how do you walk that? That's where you've you got to go into the ways of God. And you have to be able to, to realize, that, okay, sometimes I need to go. But like, like when I talk about how to walk under authority, um, one of the, th the things that I'll talk about is um, to ask this question. Like whenever somebody in authority over you, whether it's a, a, a police officer, whether it's your employer, whether it's a past, whoever it is, whenever they ask you to do something, always ask these questions. Is what I'm being asked to do illegal, immoral, unethical, or unbiblical? And if all the answers are no, you do what, the, what you've been asked to do with the greatest attitude of heart. Let me say those again. Is it illegal? Is it immoral? Is it unethical? Is it unbiblical? And I hear people just go, well, no, I'm, you know, that's not my gifts. I'm not called to that. So here's our friend Gary Tanner. Gary is a key guy behind this whole thing. So it, let's say I'm working for Gary, and Gary says, hey, Dave, would you be willing to go in, and, and I need you to set up all the chairs in all the rooms on this floor for the thing? And I might say, Gary, you know, my gift is preaching and teaching. 
like knowing Gary, he would take another shot at it. Dave, I know, and you're awesome at that, but think of it, people won't be able to hear you if they don't have a seat. Oh, you know. But, but here's the thing, you guys, we, we don't disciple people to think that way. So when I'm dealing with young youth of the mission missionaries who are 20 years old, and I look at them and I say, I want you to ask this question. When someone asks you to do something, is it illegal? Is it immoral? Is it unethical? Is it unbiblical? If the answer to all four of those is no, do it with the best attitude of heart on the planet. Period. Yeah, but what if it... I said, did you get, miss the period part there? So I'll use an illustration like, your church is supposed to be going on a missions trip and you're still $10,000 short, and here comes the pastor, and he rolls in this you know, little hanging thing here, and there are... 20 on the mission team, and there's 20 outfits that looks very SWAT team-ish. And he, he starts saying, okay, put these on, put the headgear on and, you know, the, the night goggles so you can see, and here's your gun. The Lord has shown me that he is going to provide for our missions trip down here at Bank of America tonight at midnight. <laughs> so I want you to meet me. Well, somebody would go, you know, I love the outfits a lot. Can I, I'd like to keep it even. But the Bible says that, and because your pastor's humble, they go, oh, yeah, you know, right that. Now, that's obviously an extreme example, but that's illegal, immoral, unethical, unbiblical. So when you're in a company situation and it's illegal, immoral, unethical, or unbiblical, like Daniel, in our Discipleship Journey Manual, we have a, a process in there of how do you appeal in a godly way to authority, because sometimes you have to. But it's not like your company sucks and you guys, you know, that, that never gets you anywhere. And there's a process that Daniel walked through in the first chapter or two of Daniel that if you learn from that process of how to walk that through, that God may give you favor and may actually help save your boss and the company from stuff. But you've got to learn. But again, let me say this. If you don't disciple someone to do that, they're just going to go off, lose their job, hurt the company, hurt relationships, rather than they could have actually been a win for the company. So sometimes so it starts with be the best employee you can, like, like there's no other employee like you. You're so awesome in what you do, your attitude, your service, the way you relate, all that. But secondly, when you run into those things, which we do, there's a right way to appeal. And by the way, can I just tell you, if you appeal too many times, they don't hear you anymore. So you have to learn, okay, when do I, is, this, is this a hill to die on? And, and last thing on this piece is I'll just say this. This is my experience. I've had, uh, this is year 42 in, for me in ministry. And I find that 80 to 90% of all issues with authority have nothing to do with sin or right or wrong. They have to do with the difference of opinion. That's it. It's a difference of opinion. And your opinion may actually be right, but if they're the leader, you yield to them. I'm not talking about sin issues. I'm just talking about, and literally that's, and do you know how many people leave churches just because it's a difference of opinion? It's not sin. It's not illegal. It's not, it's just, well, I, I, don't, I don't like that part of the worship. All right, we're out of here. It's like, are we becoming that shallow as followers of Jesus? But let me, <laughs> did you get that on the recording? All right. <laughs> So, so I just want to say to you, again, the big heartbeat in this for me is, is this simple. I, I just wanted to expose this to you a little bit. Um, we can help you as Lionshare if this is something you want to do more of. Like, like with the Discipleship Journey Manual, you can go online now, like today, and it's on there. And you can download a free Discipleship Journey companion guide that has to do with a vocational question for every session. Like, how does the fear of the Lord apply where you work? What might spiritual warfare have to do with you on the job? How do you relate well to those as an employer, as an employee? Um, because again, this is a place, you guys, where we can really make an impact in the world. We can change a culture. 
But if we don't have disciple makers in culture, in society doing this, it just doesn't happen. Okay? So if you visit our table, you'll see, you'll see some of the resources. We do want to tell you of something we'd like to give you as a gift. You just pay shipping for it. So this is something that we recorded a number of years ago called Wisdom for Difficult Times. If you were here with us last year, you maybe picked up one of these. Um, it's Henry Blackaby, Lauren Cunningham, Jack Hayford, Lloyd Ogilvy, John Perkins, and Winky Prattney having a conversation together about all kinds of things. And uh, they're usually about $49, but if you just pay the, Darren told me, $8.99 for shipping, you can get it free. And so where's the sign-up for that? Okay, this fine, handsome man, Sean Holland, has, has the list, and Mel. So these guys, if you, so if you want this, it's just a free gift to you. It'll, you will love it, just the, the insights from fathers. So our next session here, Sonia's going to host four people, and we're going to talk some of this through of what it looks like in their world. All right, thank you so much for coming. That's it for today's episode. Make sure to check out the discipleship.org collective and get your free membership with tons of resources. There's a premium version too. Check it out at discipleship.org slash collective. Thanks for listening. Until next time.